0: Denying the law of gravity does not mean you can jump off buildings with immunity, and denying the Ten Commandments does not mean you can jump off the deep end morally either. This is Truth Encounter, and today as we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28, we will have the opportunity of seeing this law of consequence in action, as our study leader Dave Wurtson shares both the blessings and the cursing god stated would come upon his people based upon whether or not they obeyed his moral law before you decide to spread your wings throw caution to the wind and disregard your conscience stay with us for the next few minutes and consider the
1: consequences you have a kid that goes through a whole semester he begins a semester getting his schedule or her schedule, and he finds out that he has to go to class at 8 o'clock in the morning, but as he starts to get involved in in the fraternities and the different party scene, I mean, it's hard to get up at 8 o'clock in the morning. So the guy stops doing it, doesn't get up at 8 o'clock in the morning. In fact, he misses all of his 8 o'clock classes for an entire semester, misses every single one of them. But the idea is this, when the professor gives an exam and the the student that hasn't been in class all semester goes and takes the exam and flunks it royally, a modern student will often say, this isn't fair, this test is too hard. You asked me some questions that, that weren't in the notes that I borrowed from a fellow classmate because he fell asleep when you lectured on that in class, this isn't fair. You see, it's always someone else's fault. In fact, mom and dad are supposed to keep paying the bill for son and daughter to keep partying, whether they pass or not. We live like that. We live in a society that says, like, for example, if if you smoke, if you smoke, the basic problem is with the cigarette companies. It's their fault. It's not my fault that I went and purchased the stuff and smoked it for 30 years. In fact, just to show you the denial of consequences, I really thought about three years ago that, that, that smoking was going to go pretty much past because I have dealt with many of you, and I really want to be loving to you because many of you that have wrestled with that for years, you have sworn to me over and over again, oh, I wish when I started, I would have known about the consequence. Oh, I wish I would have known that, man, if I, if I smoked, it would get a hold of me and it would ruin my breathing. But I didn't know that. I just started doing it and thought everything was fine. Well, no one can say that in our society today. I mean, it's broadcast all over the place. The smoking could give you cancer, give you heart problems. And I felt about three or four years ago, man, nobody would smoke. I go down to Austin and all the college kids are smoking. I mean, here's these handsome, beautiful kids, young kids, and they're, they're, they're taking drugs in these cigarettes. And I'm scratching my head and saying, man, you've got to be kidding. I mean, the consequences are clear in our society now, and yet you see that tremendous propensity of human nature we just ignore consequences. We have an idea it'll never happen to us. The homosexual debate. If I tell you that possibly AIDS is a judgment of God... In fact, I heard a very famous preacher, and in fact, I know him, and, and he's, he's a great, great person, but he was really, really careful to say, man, we don't want to say that age that is the judgment of God against immorality. You see, no one wants to say that maybe if you do something that's opposed to the laws of God that there's tremendous judgment that breaks forth. And it it just struck me, nobody in our society wants to say that there's a consequence to anything. In other words, whether it's the healthcare debate, we want to put all the emphasis, we need to find a cure for things. We need to invent a cigarette that won't give you cancer. We need to invent uh, some kind of a plastic device, a condom, that will forever protect us so we can do whatever we want to. And then people get mad at somebody, like if I tell you, which I am going to tell you, but I want to tell you you're really nice. You're not going to believe this, but you know, if you break the moral laws of God, and I get this, because this is the whole point of Deuteronomy 28, and you're probably not going to like me, but I've decided long ago, it doesn't make any difference whether you like me or not, okay? Because it's the truth. And if I'm really going to love you, and if I'm going to love my kids, and, and as I look at the young people, and I look at all of you here, I want you to know from the depths of my heart, Deuteronomy chapter 28 is going to tell you this fact. And Moses was an ancient preacher, and he had his last shot at these people. As we begin Deuteronomy 28 through the end of the book of Deuteronomy, this is the last shot Moses has with these people. And when we finish Deuteronomy, he'll be dead. And preachers that are getting ready to die usually forget all about the pulpit communities. They forget all about whether the elders like them or not. They forget all about whether they're going to win a popularity contest. All they care about is the truth. And Moses has one truth to get across with people. If you break the moral laws of God, it will destroy you. If you keep the moral laws of God, if you're obedient, and if you love him with all of your heart, it'll bring untold blessing into your life. Now, if you stop and think about that, I think any idiot understands that's really the way life is. But our society doesn't believe that. In fact, many of us don't believe it. But I want you to listen really carefully. As you open the pages of Deuteronomy chapter 20, let's do that, Moses throughout this whole chapter is basically going to do just one thing. He's going to say this, if you obey the moral laws of God, it will bless you. You'll be happy. You'll live. You're going to have have abundance in your family life. You're going to have abundance in your business life. You're going to have abundance in your public life. A nation that follows these moral principles is going to be prosperous. But if you don't obey these principles, there's going to be incredible judgment. In fact, Moses uses the idea of cursings. ...that will come upon us. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. And Moses is moving in. You can picture about several million people... ...gathered together on the plains of Moab. Moses gets up as this ancient man... ...that's guided them through the wilderness... ...and he begins like this... ...as he begins his last sermon to these people. If you fully obey the Lord... ...he begins with the positive. Every good teacher knows... ...that you want to begin with the positive. If you you fully obey the Lord God... ...if you carefully follow all of His commands... ...that I give you today... What will happen if this is an if-then condition? If you love the Lord thy God, if you obey him, I will give you today the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and you and will accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. That's an incredible promise. You see, every nation wants to be the dominant nation in the world, don't they? In other words, right now, the United States militarily is the dominant nation in the world. Economically, we're in very powerful competition. And there's a tremendous, always there's a seething cauldron of international relationship where where all of us as nations are seeking to be the top dog. It's kind of like playing the ancient game of who's going to be the king of the mountain. Now, God made an incredible promise to ancient Israel. He said, if you'll obey my laws, if you'll listen to what God has revealed through Moses, I'm going to make you the top dog. The great promise. I want you to know something else. Ultimately, in the course of the history of the world, the nation of Israel is going to be the top dog because God's promises never fail. Now, that's not anti-American because they're not going to be the top dogs until, according to the word of God, they respond to the only king that deserves to be the top dog. You see, right now we're in a period where we need to be very, very careful as we move towards centralization. Every one of you need to understand as you read your Bible that the Bible predicts that there's going to be a tremendous movement towards unity in the world. But it's going to be a unity that's based upon man's secular values and not God's values in his word. Because there's only one individual, only one man in all of creation that can handle the power. You've all heard the statement, power corrupts. Now finish it for me. That's right, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Now that should forever warn you, when you hear all these great, great stories about the international bank will solve our problems, and an international commission is going to be able to solve international affairs, and, and if we can only get together and we need to forget all about our nationality, we need to become world people, watch out, watch out. Because every time in the course of human history, when a man like myself or a woman like some of you says, we're going to be powerful, we can solve the problem, remember that whenever that happens, unless there's nail prints in his hands, don't follow it. Don't buy it. Because it'll ultimately destroy you. Because absolute power will corrupt a sinful person absolutely. And you might think that's no big deal. German believers didn't think it was that big a deal when pastors in the early days of this century were telling their people, some of the Bible-based pastors were telling their people what I'm telling you. Don't follow a utopian dream. Don't believe the great deliverer. Don't believe that we can bring peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And a lot of people said, oh man, that's, that's just, who cares about that message? But when the Führer started, started mobilizing multitudes of people, and to watch today when we see his speeches, it's a big joke. Josh and I were watching the other night about they're trying to figure out where the guy's been buried. And to watch today to see this little mustache man is just a big joke. But those of you that lived through World War II, you know it was not a joke. It was serious. You see, there was a man that was able to, to galvanize and capture the attention of a nation, was able to give young people a dream. What was the dream? World domination. To be the leading nation in the world, to bring in the utopian dream, to be the Third Reich, and people follow that. The same thing can happen in our day. In fact, the Bible teaches ultimately somebody will give that dream again, and there's going to be a man that rises right up and says, "I can give you peace on earth, goodwill towards men. I can solve your economic problems. I can solve your health problems. I can solve all the problems that you need." If he doesn't have nail prints in his hand. If there's not a hole in his sight, if he hasn't been to this planet before and risen from the dead, don't you buy it. Stand against it. Ultimately, this nation of Israel, according to the word of God, is going to look on the one that they pierce. Zechariah says one day this nation will respond to him, their hearts will be changed, and Jesus will rule on the earth. I believe that. And that's the great hope that I have for international relationships. And that's why I've committed my life to trying to go into all the world to tell people about that great ultimate utopian dream that Jesus is coming back again. And when Jesus comes back and when his people respond to him, Israel's going to be the head. But I want all of you as as believers in Christ to know too, you're going to be with the head as well because it's going to be a great union of Gentiles and Jews that are dedicated to the Son of Love. And that's how this promise that Moses is giving, that if you obey the commands of God as a nation Israel, you're going to be the head and not the tail. You're going, to be the, you're going to be adored and honored among the nations. Maybe you're an unbeliever, and as we go through this chapter, and we're not going to be able to cover every minute detail, but if you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, and you're saying, Dave, I, I want to try to get this together. I'm trying to figure this out. One of the things you need to try to figure out in your life is the history of the nation of Israel. Because this passage was written, I believe, about 1,400 years before Christ came. If you're a liberal and you're a critical scholar, then you're going to say that it was written about, um, about the time of Jeremiah during the 500s, about 586 or so. That's about as late as you can get it. So whatever this chapter is about, it's written before the coming of Christ, before the Romans devastated the Jews, before the history of of the Jewish people. And one of the great, great stamps of God on human history is this incredible history of his Israelite people and the Jewish people. And ultimately, they're coming back into the land. And you need to ask yourself, you know, what is all this about? And Deuteronomy chapter 28 lays the groundwork for a lot of that. In fact, Deuteronomy 28 lays the history of all of Israel, the whole nation of Israel, from the time of Moses, right through the Assyrian captivity, right through the Babylonian captivity. Jesus picked up the theme and talked about the Roman captivity, but the scriptures go on and talk about another day, and they pick up on the promises of the Old Testament prophets that the Jews would come back to their land, that they would be regathered. And then it talks about what will happen to them when they're regathered. But that's another story. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you're wondering, like, how can I get it together? How do I know that the Bible is is something that I should follow? One of the things you owe it to yourself to do, you owe it to yourself to read through the history of the Jewish people and ask yourself, how are they still here? How are they still at center stage in human history? Why is it that they keep showing up in Washington and on the front page of my paper, why is it that everybody keeps coming back to Jerusalem? You owe it to yourself to answer that question. Because secularism will say that all the nations are the same and there isn't any story to history and things are just happening. Well, if you're going to believe that, you can believe that, but you need to ask yourself, is that really the facts? Is that really what, what brings history together? Is that really true? Why is it that Jerusalem keeps coming up center stage in the history of planet Earth? If I was an unbeliever, that would be a really troubling question to me. If I didn't know Christ was my Savior, it would, it, that would bother me. Why is it that this little tiny state that's not any bigger than the state I was born in called New Jersey, and nobody cares less, even on the East Coast, about New Jersey? It's a bedroom committee community for New York City. Now, New Jerseyites don't like me to say that, but we never thought of being... Like, you all think of yourself, we're Texans. Nobody ever stood up and said, I'm a New Jerseyite. Who cared? And Israel's like that. It's a little tiny place, very insignificant. But all of world history, whenever you study the marching of armies, whenever you study about world history, it ultimately relates to that little land between the continents called Israel. If I was an agnostic, if I was an atheist, if I didn't understand that Jesus died on the cross for me, I would really want to find out the answer to that question. Why Israel? What is in the world that's happening, in that incredible land? And how has this Jewish people survived? Now Moses made a promise to them at the very beginning. If you obey God's commands, if you listen to God's promises, you're going to be blessed. You know why? Because God wants to get across, God is good. God is kind. God wants the very best for every one of you. So notice what he said. He said, if you obey him, and he told ancient Israel, if you obey him, then all these blessings will come upon you. They will accompany you if you obey. And Moses just starts heaping them up. Look what he says in verse 3. You will be blessed. And the idea of being blessed means that your life's going to accomplish its purposes. It means you're going to go right towards the goals that God has planned for you. That's what happiness means. It means the accomplishment of worthwhile goals. In Hebrew, that's what it means. It's not just an ethereal idea of feeling good. It's the idea that as I, as I settle down and think about my life, my life has meaning. My life has, has togetherness. My life is going someplace. And that's what the word blessed means. It means that tremendous settled sense that things are okay because I've accomplished what life was meant to accomplish. And oh, the blessedness, you'll be blessed in the city. Some of you live in the city. Some of you live in the country. Notice it says you're going to find that happiness in the city and in the country. That reminds me. You see, God likes city life and God likes country life. We have a tendency to think that the sin is in the city. That's why all of us try to move out to Midlothian to get away from the sin. Then you move out to Midlothian. What did you find out here? Did you escape sin? How many of you escaped sin by moving out in the country? So So a lot of you are thinking we need to move farther out. Well, I want to share something with you. You can never get far enough out. Okay? And I want you to realize, though, that the blessing, this is really a great thing. You can be blessed in Dallas. Praise the Lord. Aren't you? How many of you have friends in Dallas? How many of you have You can be blessed in New York City. Did you know that? Horace. You can be blessed. That's what this text is saying. God can bless you in this city. I have some friends that are being blessed in downtown Manhattan. And they're reaching their, their, their friends and their associates for Jesus Christ. They found the will of God right in the heart of Manhattan. So isn't it great to know that God's not a country person? And he's also not a city person. He's everybody's person. You can be blessed in the city. You can be blessed in the country. Moses says that you can be blessed with the fruit of your womb. Can be blessed. Amen? As a church family? We must be obeying something because we are definitely being blessed in the fruit of the womb. One of the things I want to underscore to you again is the blessing of the womb. You see, our society has an idea that the womb isn't a blessing. In other words, if if you produce a kid and and the kid's going to cramp your economic lifestyle, that little thing, that person wants to think of as a thing rather than a person, that person can be eliminated if it's going to cramp my economic lifestyle. That's that's not going to work. I want you to feel this dichotomy of values. You see, if I live from materialism... If I live for things, if I live for the dollar, then my kids are really a drag on me. Because I got news for you, and I thought when you ship them out of, when they graduated from high school and you shipped them away, now I know that some of you, when you shipped them away, man, that was it. They don't cost you anymore. I find that's not true in our family. And so I want to share with you if I deal with kids economically, they're a drag. And if I'm worshiping the dollar, then my kids become something that's blocking me from my worship. But I want to assure just the opposite is true, man. You can have all the money in the world. I'll take my kids. How about you? You see, what, what, what the real, what Moses is telling you is you're going to be blessed in your womb. And I want to, I want to encourage every one of you, precious moms, that have your womb swollen. That's the blessing of God. And don't believe what your society tells you. Don't believe what some of your girlfriends, maybe at work, are trying to tell you. Man, that you're losing out. You're not losing out on anything. It's going to be the greatest thrill in the world to raise those kids in a godly home. And I guarantee you, if the Lord gives you long life, when you get old and you have those precious kids there, that's what's going to count. Nobody cares how much money you have. Just one word, just one daughter that looks in your eyes and says, man, I love you, mom. You're really you're my mom. Thanks a lot for being my mom. Just those words, money can never buy. And every one of you know that. That's what Moses is telling his people. He's saying that if you follow the plans of God and you have the value systems of God, then you're gonna you're gonna find what life is all about. You're gonna be blessed. And you'll be blessed in the fruit of your womb. You're going to be blessed. And this not only relates to human reproduction, but this was an agricultural society, so it goes right through the barnyard. I mean, everything's going to be blessed. I mean, the calves are popping out all over the place. The lambs are coming. I mean, this this whole thing is is just exploding with fruitfulness. Then he says this in verse 5. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. I noticed a whole lot of you have gotten bread makers. Well, Mary doesn't like those. She has to do the real thing. But what Moses is telling you here is that in your home, there's going to be the smell of freshly made bread. Now, how many of you like that smell? Isn't that a great, great thing? To go into a home and have bread baking and to have that marvelous, to be able to get it out of the oven when it's still hot, be able to put that special bread knife cut through it and then be able to, to eat it Back in the day, before cholesterol, you could even put butter on it. <laughs> Moses is saying that that's the blessing of God. It's those little things. Isn't it as you grow older in life, it's those little things? Being able to enjoy that. That's what Moses is talking about. You see, this kneading trough was the big bowl that the Israelite girls would use to knead their bread and, and get it ready, get it all mixed and get it ready for baking. And Moses is telling the girls, the women of Israel, God's going to bless you right on those daily tasks in the home the preparation of food. He said you'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The idea of that is you'll be blessed in your daily activities. Israelites talked about the daily activities of life as coming and going. We talk about that. I'm just coming and going. I don't know whether I'm coming or going. That would be the similar expression. And Moses is saying that you're going to be blessed when you go out. You'll be blessed when you come in. He's saying you're going to be blessed in your daily business activities. The Lord will grant that your enemies, enemies that rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but they're going to flee from you in seven. So the Lord not only talked in this whole chapter is divided up into two kinds of blessing and then two kinds of cursing. There's going to be a blessing upon your domestic life, but something else we need to be concerned about as a people, we need we need blessing in our international life. We need security. As Americans in the United States, we tend to take for granted the idea of protection. We take for granted what our military does. We take for granted what the great oceans do for our land. And that's why it's really hard for me to get you to feel, because as Americans, we have never, never really experienced what it was like to be genuinely threatened by an external enemy. But Israel had You see, when you lived in the nation of Israel, there were people all around you. In fact, when I talk to Israelis about what I'm talking about now, when I promise them and say, listen, if you obey the commands of God, then you're going to be blessed in international relationships, and you're going to be able to defeat your enemies. When I talk to a bunch of Israeli paratroopers about that, they know what you're talking about. They feel that. Because they need that blessing. Because their life is very much threatened. It's a tremendous blessing. What I want you to see is one of the things God is saying is internationally, as a nation, if you follow moral principles, that in the long scheme of things, that God will bring protection for that nation. And we're going to find out in the cursing section that if you turn away from those moral principles, then you can't expect that kind of protection. One of the things that we're going to trace, and I want you to think, one of the, one of the areas I'm trying to get across to you today... Modern thinking says there's no moral rhyme or reason in history. It just happens. In fact, they'll cuss and say, "Blank happens." That's where our whole society is. Our society believes that there's no morality to this thing, that there's no story behind it. there's no right and wrong. Moses is saying something completely different. He's saying, "In the long scheme of things, there is morality. And that nations, and specifically in chapter 28, the nation of Israel, if they follow the moral principles founded in the Ten Commandments, they will be protected from their enemies.
0: Dave is right. In our sophisticated society, we believe we are safe. But as our arrogance eats away at our ethics, history teaches there will come a day of reckoning. Is there a personal righteous God who is ultimately writing the story of our nation or all other nations? Do we believe that He is more powerful than our technology? Will we discern how important it is to follow His principles for skillful living? I believe that it's only as we come to Jesus Christ and allow Him to invade our lives that we receive the power to live out the heart of God's practical instructions for living revealed in the Old Testament. Our nation needs more than a religious awakening. We need a powerful, spirit-initiated turning to dependence upon the historical fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that He conquered death on the third day, and that anyone who trusts in Him alone can receive a new heart for God.